Bible can be tough, and a lot of folks never have. It's really long, and some parts don't seem to have anything to do with us today. So what's the point? Here's Pastor David. Let's get into it. A few sayings for you. Moderation in all things. To thine own self be true. God helps those who help themselves. Money is the root of all evil. Cleanliness is next to godliness. This too shall pass. The eye is the window to the soul. God works in mysterious ways. These sayings all have one thing in common. They are not in the Bible. Okay? None of them are in the Bible. I know some people have, have quoted them as though they were or think that they are, but none of them are in the Bible. Some of the things that are here are sort of close to or similar to things that are said in the Bible. Some of the things that are here are totally opposite of what's said in the Bible, but they're not in the Bible in this form. Um, and, and we love these kinds of sayings, even though they're not from the Bible. And there are some sayings that are kind of like this in the Bible. If you look at the wisdom literature, especially Proverbs, you get a lot of these kinds of sayings. Um, but punchy sayings, uh, quick sayings that are pithy, are not what Scripture is about, particularly, and certainly are not what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we have been in a series for a number of weeks now called Right Side Up. Right Side Up. And it's a series that is going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is, uh, which is a sermon of Jesus. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's just Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Okay? And, and that series is Jesus is kind of showing us the difference between the kingdom of God and his perfection, his holiness, and, and, and how, he would have, how he would have us live and the culture of the world the way that the world lives. And he's showing us that the culture of the world and the way that the world is and the worldview of the world is upside down and that the kingdom is right side up. And so, the, so he's kind of coming against all kinds of things that we believe and all kinds of ways that we've set up our lives to show us what it really looks like to be a child of God and to be a kingdom person. And so that's what we've been going through. If you have a Bible, you can turn to uh, Matthew chapter five. If you don't, you can look on your phone or you can check it out here um, on the screen behind me. Uh, and, and we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot going on in this passage, okay? But one of the things that's important that we understand just kind of up front, especially as we dive into this section of the Sermon on the Mount, is that Jesus is not just peppering us with slogans and sayings that we can sort of separate out, print on a coffee mug, and sort of live by. That's not the point of what he's doing. We just went through the Beatitudes. That's all the stuff that says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are blessed, blessed are the meek, right? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
Right? We went through that. And you could take any one of those and look at it, and we did. One by one, we went through those, right? And we, and we studied them, and we looked at them. But they are not by themselves sitting in the middle of space by themselves. They are part of a context. And they form the themes for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, and they're themes that run all the way through Scripture. So you need to understand that they are not by themselves. Remember, Jesus is God, and God inspired all of the Scripture. So when Jesus teaches, he is not just giving us things to say or a quick quote. He is tying together ultimate truth, the whole show, the meaning of life, who he is, who we are, everything is all tied together. You can't just pull one out. When you pull on that string, you find it goes all the way through Scripture. You may remember, as we studied, that Jesus promises the same thing in the first beatitude, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And the last one, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He promises the same thing. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He opens it and he closes it with the same thing. Here in this passage, Jesus begins with, do not think I came to destroy the law and the prophets, right? So we finished the Beatitudes last week. There's actually a section where he sort of comments on that that we actually did a number of weeks ago. And now we're starting a new section. At the beginning of this section, he says, do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. At the end of this section, which actually doesn't end until chapter 7, verse 12, he says this, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. See how he opens and closes, he bookends. He's got a structure to what he's doing. Jesus has a structure. There's a structure to the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is using that structure to teach us much more than just the simple truths. Much more. We here see Jesus clearly and certainly tying his teaching to what God has taught us in the Old Testament. What they would have called the Scripture, right? When he says the law and the prophets, what the first century Jewish person would have understood him to be saying is the Bible, the Scripture. It was the only Scripture that they had at that point was what we call the Old Testament, right? At the time Jesus was teaching this, the Old Testament was the Bible, the old, the old, all of the Bible, because the New Testament was literally being revealed as he was speaking. We are now studying the words that Jesus was speaking, which make up the New Testament. So the New Testament was being made. The Old Testament was what they had. And so when Jesus says, for assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled, he's talking about the Old Testament. And I know the burning question for most of us when you hear that verse is, what in the world is a jot or a tittle? Well, let me tell you. It is, a jot is the 10th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's the smallest. It was written above the line and looks to us rather like an apostrophe. So this is a jot. Okay. A tittle is even, is even smaller than a jot. It's a letter extension. Okay. It's a pen stroke that differentiates one Hebrew letter from another. So if you look at the screen behind me, you'll see one letter looks like this, and then one letter has that little pen stroke that comes out in the end. That little piece there is the tittle. Okay. It's very, very small. So Jesus is being very clear that the scripture was not being abolished. It was not being destroyed. It was not being done away with but that it was going to be fulfilled to the tiniest detail, to the tiniest detail. Now, this is where some people will start to get nervous, right, if you've read the Old Testament, because there's a lot of things in the Old Testament scripture that the Israelites were asked to keep in the law, what we would call the Pentateuch, uh, including the sacrificial system. I'm guessing very few of you brought animals this morning to sacrifice. We don't do that here. We're not going to do that for you. But things like you couldn't wear clothes made of different fabrics, for those of you wearing a polyester cotton blend this morning, <laughs> circumcision, people get real nervous, 
not eating pork or shellfish, no bacon. Okay, that's, that's in there, right? Before you all run out of here and think that I'm teaching you this and you look for another church, a bacon-friendly church, as we call them, <laughs> let me just walk you through this, okay? Um, there are some different views on what Jesus is saying here. But I'm not aware of many Christians who believe that what he's saying here is that we are going to be following all of the civil and the ceremonial and the moral laws of the Old Testament, but rather that he's saying something very different. People have kind of split this up, moral, civil, ceremonial. I think it's more complicated than that. Lord willing, one day we'll get to, to really dive into the, the law and, and, and suss it out a little bit and see kind of what that's about. But the point is, we're not talking about all of a sudden now we got to stop eating bacon, okay? Obviously, that is not something that I have kept. Um, and so uh, <laughs> if you want to read further on and in different ways that people have seen what Jesus is saying right here. There's a book by D.A. Carson called Jesus, Sermon on the Mount and His Confrontation with the World, a study of Matthew 5 through 10. It's been a very helpful book to me in preparing these messages. If you want to kind of dig into it, it sort of goes into some different things that, that people believe that this might mean, but very few, if any, would believe that it means we're supposed to follow everything that's in the Old Testament. Um, what he's really saying to really understand the passage, we got to look at the words. What is he saying? He's saying that the law and the prophets will not pass away until what? Until they're fulfilled. Until they're fulfilled. Now, what does fulfilled mean? Again, typed into Google. This is the definition it gave me. To bring to completion or reality, achieve or realize something desired, promised, or predicted. Fits pretty well here. That's what he's saying. The scripture is going to be fulfilled. We're going to bring to completion reality. We're going to achieve that which was desired, promised, and predicted. Jesus is saying something very important about the scriptures, that they promise and predict something that is desired. They promise and predict something that is desired. And that these promises and predictions will be completed and realized. They will be fulfilled. Jesus is the promise of the scriptures. He is the Son of God. He is the one who has fulfilled the Scriptures. That's who he is. In John chapter 10, verse 35, Jesus says, the Scriptures cannot be broken. They cannot be broken. They will be fulfilled, right? He says this in John 5, 39 through 40. You, he's talking to the Jews here, you examine the Scriptures carefully because you suppose that in them you have eternal life. Yet they testify about me but you are not willing to come to me to have life. And then in verses 45 through 47 of chapter 5 of John, it says, Do not suppose that I will be the one to accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses. Remember, Moses is the, according to the tradition, Moses is the writer of the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, He's the, the writer of those. So he's saying, Moses is your accuser. You, I'm sorry, is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Because if you believed Moses... You would believe me since he wrote about me. But if you do not believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? Jesus is telling the Jewish people something. He's telling them something very clear. He's telling them that the scripture that they claim to follow is all about him. Now, listen to what happened. Jesus rose from the dead. And, and he goes, uh, there's, there's two of his disciples who are on the road to Emmaus. They've heard that he's risen from the dead, and they're just kind of like, well, what, what's going on with this? And they're confused by it, and so on. He comes, he starts talking to them, sort of disguises himself so they don't know who he is. And then he says this to them. This is Luke 24, 25 through 27 and verse 32. It says, then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. 
Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, beginning the Bible, and all the prophets through the rest of the Old Testament, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And later on it says this, And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? It's all about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill the Scripture. Now, the Scripture reveals to us our condition, our state, the state that we're in, the state that we all know. And we all know what state we're in. Every time we watch the news, every time we see some evil happening around us or experience suffering or see suffering in somebody else, when we experience the breakdown of our bodies, when we see fights and violence and anger in our culture and in our world, but even closer, every time we put down our iPhones for a minute and take a second to reflect on ourselves and the wickedness of our own hearts and recognize the envy and the greed and the malice and the selfishness that's in us, we realize our condition, the state that we are in. The Holy Spirit through Paul writes in Romans 8, 20 through to the first part of 24. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, for we were saved in this hope. We are groaning in the pain of this world. And here's the second part. We know it's our fault. We know it's our fault. It's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, these then are the two points I wanted to make. First, that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. Secondly, that they do not in fact behave in that way. They know the law of nature. They break it. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe we live in. We know that the world is broken. We know that we are broken. And the scripture confirms this. From Genesis chapter 3, where we first see the fall, we know the problem, the problem of sin that is laid out for us, but also the promise of the prediction, the promise of redemption. Jesus promised that the seed of Eve would be our redeemer. The scripture shows Adam as bringing sin into the world. And Jesus fulfills the scripture as the new Adam that defeats sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22. Holy Spirit through Paul writes this. But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, for those who have died. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. We see the connection. Everything, Christ's birth, his life, his death, his rising from the dead, and his return, and his everlasting kingdom, all of those things are revealed in the Scriptures. Paul tells us this earlier in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. It says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. How does he know? According to the Scriptures. 
that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. He's not talking about the New Testament, the gospels that talk about this. He is talking about the scriptures. The Old Testament, all of this was revealed in the Old Testament. All that happened was according to the scriptures. It was a fulfillment of the scriptures. The Holy Spirit is revealing to us through the writings of Paul that the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, has promised, they have promised Jesus, and that Jesus in coming to earth has fulfilled that promise. It's a fulfillment. That is what he's talking about. That is what he's talking about. Says this in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. God, having spoken in former times in fragmentary and varied fashion to our forefathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by a son whom he appointed to be the heir of everything and through whom he also made the universe. Christ is promised and Christ delivered. He fulfills the scriptures. He was predicted by prophecies about his birth, life, death, and resurrection. He also was revealed in his line that go that we can see all the way from Adam all the way to Mary, his mother. We see this line that goes through. This line of people, all of whom were sinners in need of redemption, all of whom would eventually look to him for their redemption. We see all of that. We also see that Jesus is foretold through his people, God's chosen people, the Israelites, right? And, and not just them, but we see through Noah, who, who was saved from the flood. And Jesus is our Savior, bringing us to peace through the flood, through the death that comes to the world from sin. We see that he is the fulfillment of Abraham, who was promised all these children, all these nations, that all nations, once Christ came, died, rose again, the church was born at Pentecost, and on all nations now look to Jesus Christ. He's the true Abraham. He's the fulfillment of Moses, who led the Israelites, God's people, through the desert. Talks about Jesus being the bread of life, like the manna that they had. Talks about Jesus being the water of life and the rock and the water that came from the rock in the desert. This is all talking about Jesus. They suffered 40 years in the desert, right? Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness, showing in that case that that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. They live by the manna. Jesus was foreshadowed through what they went through. They sacrificed a lamb on Passover so the angel of death would pass over them. They would be saved from that. And Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice that purchases us from death. He is that sacrificial lamb. They would go to the priest the one that would be between them and God, between them and the Father. Jesus comes to be the priest forever. Let's read a few verses out of Hebrews. This is verse 721, uh, the second part of that verse, and then 25 through 28. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. He is the fulfillment of what we saw in foreshadowing. We don't need priests and the sacrifices and whatever works. Jesus is the final sacrifice. He's the fulfillment and he's 
for, he rose from the dead and is forever making intercession for us. Look, we can study and learn a lot more about Melchizedek, right? The king of Salem, who Abraham visited and gave a tithe to, who brought out what to Abraham? Bread and wine. We could, we could go, I mean, it, this goes deeper and deeper and deeper. We could talk about the visions of the prophet Daniel or the significance of the Israelites coming into the promised land and on and on and on. The scriptures are full of the Messiah, Jesus. Full. Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament and bringing the kingdom. Bringing the kingdom, the life of the kingdom that you and I can be citizens of. The life of the kingdom, that we can have life in Christ. That's right. All of the Bible points to Jesus so that we can know him and be saved. And if you have any questions or comments about today's episode, or we can help you find new life in Christ, call us at 360-885-9000. Or come see us at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Get all the info you need at axechurchnw.org. Hope to meet you this Sunday. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for part two with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.